I'm probably most proud of that I have gone through so many changes of my life, but I've always been so true to me. I've always understood who I am. I've always been so confident and so happy in myself. Yes, I've gone through shit periods of time. I've gone through struggles, but I've always just had something deep down in me that just trusts me, would always go back to me, and I knew exactly who I was. Over the past few years, my life has completely changed. I've built one of Australia's most successful e-commerce startups, Happy Skin Co., generating over 10 million per year in sales and disrupting a billion dollar industry in the process. I've now turned my passion for growth and personal development to bring you these honest and eye-opening conversations. This isn't just a business podcast. This is about the person underneath. This is about the journey. This is what it's really like. I'll be interviewing guests from all walks of life, each with their own unique perspectives and experiences, from the hardest day of their life to the biggest accomplishments and everything in between. My name is Dylan Mullen, and this is Life, Money, and Love. All right, here we are, Christy Swaddling. Thanks for coming. It's been a while, huh? I know. For everyone, anyone who doesn't know, I did Christy's podcast, what, like maybe two years ago? Literally, and like we haven't really spoken much since mm. then because I was on our um, Instagram DM and I scroll up a little bit and there's photos of you on my podcast. And I was like, yeah. reunion. And then we did that, you did that shoot with Happy Skin Go for us. That was like, was that before or after your podcast? I think it was before. Yeah, because hey, you've wow. been up in Newcastle now. You left Sydney how long ago? <sighs> Two years now. Cool. So it was like three years yeah. ago. Because COVID, everyone loses the sense of time and what the fuck's going on. I don't I know, know when, what happened, when the last time I saw anyone. I saw Irma before. I'm like, have we met or have we just talked on Instagram? Yeah. Like, I don't <laughs> even know. It's like I've seen you somewhere. I just, I'm, yeah, I'm at that age where I don't even actually know how old I am. I'm like a mix between 24 or 25. I don't know. And I feel like <laughs> you've been so – you've like because you moved out of home really early, right? You've been yes. like living like the adult life for so long. So I didn't well, – the first time I met you, the way you would speak and how much you knew, I didn't know you were like 22 or something when I first yeah, met you. Yeah, I, I know, right? Really surprised by that. Um, I want to get into things for people who don't know Christy. Obviously, you're known as like a, a, a successful content creator, influencer, if you want to throw around that world. Um, you've obviously moved into business. You've got your own podcast. Um, the founder of C – is it C Active and C Subs? Are they the same company or – C Active. And, C Active. We, yeah, we sell blends. Yeah, beautiful. Um, the first thing I want to start with is kind of your big story and your becoming of age thing when you first started speaking about it. And I think it's perfect to unpack here because you lived – a lot of your, your, your teenage years um, with anorexia nervosa, is that right? Yes, correct. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what that period of your life was like when it developed and then you've gone on such a long healing process to not only heal yourself mentally and physically to the point that now you're even doing physical competitions, which I want to get into later. But I want to start with that because I think there's so many learnings in, in that story and that lesson and what you lived through and how you've been able to overcome it. A hundred percent and – um, anorexia is something I wouldn't wish upon my worst mm. enemy. And obviously everyone has their own experience with it, but how I like to um, go about it and kind of explain it to people and what it is is it's literally a coping mechanism. Mm. So it's some form of an addiction. Yeah. And for me, my teenage life, I was going through just normal stress. Yeah. And with anorexia, they, the doctors do actually say there's a chemical imbalance in your brain that that human actually how they deal with things is through not eating. Yeah. And like I said, it is, a, is it an addiction because it releases stimulants within your brain. And mm-hmm. at a young age I did obviously start to diet um, and with my lack of knowledge towards nutrition and having – I wanted a goal of just being healthier basically. 
And back then, healthier was salads and yeah. not eating and running on a treadmill for hours on end and um, being skinny. That was kind of everywhere. Like I remember when I was a kid and you'd read magazines and it would be how to lose 20 kilos in four weeks. Like it was just everywhere. Yeah. And that's what I thought was healthy. I not, never actually thought I needed to lose weight, but apparently in order to be healthier, to lose weight regardless. And I actually started my first diet um, in, year, in year seven. I did it with a girlfriend. And something in my brain kind of made me addicted to this diet. It was kind of like a stimulant that my brain was letting out. And it's something that has taken me years to reprogram that if I'm dealing with stress, my coping mechanism it was to stop not eat. I felt out of control in my life, but at least I was in control of not eating food. Yeah, And it's crazy because – it's what a lot of eating disorders do actually stem from. Um, but with anorexia in itself, it's a whole nother ball game yeah. in the sense where obviously you get to such a low, low weight where you you have a chemical imbalance in your brain yeah. because there's a part of it that's shut down because your body is actually going to surviving because you're having no nourishment in your body. So my brain wasn't actually working. So it did take me a lot to actually get past that stage of getting my brain back to normal and also reprogramming my mind of what normal actually is. Mm -hmm. Because when you have gone through an addiction or a mental illness for so long, that is all you know. So it did take me so, so many years to, and stepping stones to figure out what I actually enjoyed doing again, who I was, because I fully lost that. I was controlled by this addiction. And my first step was definitely understanding what true health actually is. And reprogramming my mind that health isn't about eating less mm. and exercising more. That isn't the case. And that's all I knew. So it definitely was about reprogramming that and also learning to cope with my stress. Yeah. So when do you feel like it started? Your first diet was in year seven. So what, you're 13 years old. The first time you see these fad diets in magazines and lose 20 kilos in a month and all that sort of stuff. How long between your first diet, because I know you've spoken about it quite a bit and I want to unpack that later. You, you have an addictive personality. So how long did it take for that diet to be take over your mind? Like you said, it started to control you and develop into the, the eating condition. Well, as soon as I kind of started the diet, my friend actually noticed I was a lot more addictive and yeah. controlling than she was, you know, should be a bit more loose about it. So even at the early stages, I was more addicted to it because it kind of gave me a sense of purpose. So I really enjoyed that. So I didn't have much purpose as a, as a child, but I found that this gave me, you know, purpose. When you're young, you have no idea what you're doing. You have no idea what you enjoy. And I really found enjoyment of sticking to something. Yeah. And when I started that diet, I basically never stopped dieting until I was 18. Yeah. So that's how long it went for. And I probably that first year um, – that after that year is when things kind of got a bit more intense and that's when I actually got diagnosed with an eating disorder by a doctor after yeah. a year of that diet. And, you know, it can, it can be really hard because, like I said back then, you don't know if that person's been healthy or if they have an eating disorder. Yeah. And it, it can be very misleading and it wasn't until I was showing signs mentally and I would cry and break down all of a sudden because I wasn't eating enough and I was stressed if I wasn't being able to exercise. It wasn't until... Um, others around me noticed where I then was like, okay, I actually have something wrong with me. And while you're experiencing this, is, is it like you have depression at the same time? Is that how it feels? Is it connected to that as well? Does they feed off each other or? I definitely do say, I 
would say that. Like I definitely developed depression later on through anorexia in the sense where um, you have no happiness because when you have anorexia, there is no such thing as happiness because you, your body isn't releasing that hormone because it can't, because it can't release anything. I, my, I didn't have, I didn't have really any hormones. I didn't have my period. I lost all of that because my body was literally going to surviving. So the happy endorphin literally could not be produced by my body. So I definitely developed that later on in my early stages, not so much because I was kind of like blinded in a sense, because that's why a lot of girls definitely do um, develop eating disorders because they get this little stimulants of happiness because, oh, I'm doing something right. Yeah. You know, I'm sticking to this diet. I'm getting skinnier. I'm feeling great. But that's, it's not true. Like yeah. it's literally just how you, you feel in that moment. And all these things are hid um, in your mind and in, in your in your relationships. I would constantly fight with my partner because I was constantly irritated. I would fight with my family if I couldn't get to the gym. So it was kind of like all these feelings were hid um, because I had all these sparkly things that I wanted to achieve and they were in front of me. It definitely did later on, but it was something that I know happened straight up, but I wasn't as aware of it. Yeah. And you said you when you started showing physical signs and the doctor was able to diagnose you with the with the, the eating disorder, was it before that or after that that you did you realize within yourself, hey, something's not right? <sighs> I think it was only probably a few months before that, because like I said, when I was doing it, I was just known as the healthy girl at school. I was the fittest girl in my year. Everyone knew that, oh, she wouldn't eat that. Chrissy's healthy. And that's how I I actually seen myself. And I seen it as dedication. I seen it as someone who was driven, who had a lot of self-discipline. And it wasn't until obviously later on where Um, it actually got to a point where I was controlling my life and my mum did bring it up that there is something wrong. And I did go to, I went to a few doctors because I had a lot of stomach issues, which definitely um, did stem from not eating and um, just having an eating disorder. And one of the lady doctors actually mentioned to my mum, she may have um, some form of a disordered eating. And I remember thinking, oh, that doesn't feel good with me. I never want to see this doctor again. And I told my mom I didn't like this doctor. I didn't like how she treated me. I just made up all this nonsense because I genuinely didn't like that she caught on to something that I didn't want to catch on to. Mm. Did a part of you inside know that there was a problem but you weren't quite ready to admit it yet? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. There was some – I know there was something deep down but I also (sighs) – eating disorders weren't really a thing. Yeah. So I didn't really know. And you're quite young at this point, right? Yeah. Still in your teens? Yeah. So I was in year seven, so I would have been, how old are you in year seven, 15, 16? Even younger. Yeah. Yeah. No idea, but pretty young. So there was, you wouldn't really hear of eating disorders. So it wasn't really a thing like it is um, nowadays. And you said you were known as the fit girl, the healthy girl in school. Did that become your identity and you felt like you had to maintain that image? Exactly, And that helped, well, not helped, but that led to it spiraling, becoming more and more of an addiction to maintain that? Exactly. And that's what um, anorexia and an eating disorder is. They actually, what the doctors would tell me um, through this period of suffering was there is someone else in your mind. There's a thing and they would call it Enna. So they would okay. associate anorexia as Enna. And they would say Enna is kind of like controlling you and she is your identity. So you have to do things in order to get Enna out of your head basically. And it did for so many years, and it was my identity. And I, how the doctors dealt with it, 
I learned to deal with it differently because it didn't sit well with me. I didn't want to feel like someone else was in control of me. Yeah, that's very I, – I, I heard you talking about that one time, that it was somebody else's thoughts within your head and you said, no, I didn't feel good about that. And to me that's a very strange thought. I feel like that – is taking the power away from you more than exactly. empowering you to do something about it. Exactly. How did you how did you overcome that? Did you just reject that thought straight away or did you know did you entertain trying to think that there's someone else in your head controlling you? Um, I'm lucky because my dad, he's actually really into personal development. So he handed me a few books Mm -hmm. to kind of become more aware of the mind and the brain. And at a young age, I had really no idea about that. And I started to read more. I remember my first one that really resonated me was The Power of Now and the power of the present moment. And from that book, I started to kind of venture onto more and just becoming more aware that time and my brain and my thoughts were kind of everything in my life. And with the power of now, what it was kind of um, making me acknowledge was the more I would feed into certain thoughts, the more it would grow. Yeah. So I kind of, in the power of now, they there's this quote about the ego and the more that you feed the ego in yourself, the more it grows. So I really associated the ego as my my negative thoughts and my eating disorders. So the more I gave into that, the more not Anna would grow, but then thoughts, mm. them actions, the more that habit would, would grow. And that's what I slowly kind of reprogram myself of thinking was Anna is not another person. It's just my habits. Yeah. And I have to learn to create better habits. Because you are not your thoughts, right? Exactly. It's very interesting. I've, I've heard that quote many times. It's a very interesting thing. The first time you hear that, you are not your thoughts. It's kind of hard to fully grasp and understand, but you are not your thoughts. What did that mean to you at that time? I cried because it was so amazing because I was like, oh, what I'm thinking, I I can actually beat that. Yeah. Well, you can actually control it as well. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And at that time, I knew my thoughts fully were in control of me. They were yeah. 100% in control of me, but that's because I allowed it. And because it happened unconsciously for so long, I created these addictions, I created these these thoughts, and I couldn't go against that. And it wasn't until I started to go against that where they started to shrink and shrink and shrink. So this healing journey, did it start with this personal development, these books to start rewiring the the pathways in your brain to a more healthier way of viewing it? Or was it something physical that, that kicked off the healing journey? It definitely would have been um, personal development at the yeah. start because in order to um, get healthy physically, I need to get healthy mentally. Yeah. And obviously it is a journey and later on I did find things like weight training. I found my own little goals that I have um, with food, with nutrition, with building muscle, with nourishing my body. But it did um, essentially start with personal development because I need to train change my mind. And the main thing that I did change is what I was actually taught about anorexia. I learned that it wasn't, there wasn't a voice in my head and I was not born with this. This was created over time through habit, um, through thoughts, through action. The more I would feed into something, the more it would grow. And I just learned that I had, in order to get better, I had to go against what I knew and reprogram my mind and also, um, not feed the negative thoughts. What for someone out there who might be young and they might be starting to potentially go down this path, what are some of the things to look out for? You said you know that this was created through different patterns and thoughts. Looking back, are you able to identify any of those things that that you think contributed to, to this? Like was it a certain way you responded to something at school or 
what 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 signs are there for people to look out for? Like what stemmed my eating disorder or what? Yeah, you know how you yeah. said it was some patterns and behaviours and yes. things you've done. Obviously, like you're still young, your brain's developing at such a fast age. Those things that you can do change the way you view the entire world, particularly at that age. Was there anything that stood out as, hey, I think this contributed to it? Yeah, it's really hard. Like for me, like I said, it was a coping mechanism for stress yeah. and um, – I took a diet and I just kind of yeah. took it way too hard kind of thing. Um, with eating disorders itself, I just feel as though if if you know that this is causing you stress or anxiety or if you're becoming obsessive with something, that's not healthy in itself. I think that's a, it's, it's a good point. It's, it's kind of a dangerous balance because I truly believe setting a big goal and going after it can be one of the best ways to claw yourself out of depression or, exactly, or a slump yeah. because having a goal – and having that North Star and what I'm aiming for, and then you can work towards that. It gives you that purpose. You can chip away at it every day. You wake up, you're excited because you can know, hey, yes, I might be here in life, but I'm going to this place. And each day I can set myself a goal or things I want to achieve, and I can tick off little things and start working my way towards the life I want to be or the type yeah. of human being I want to be. So that's, that's I think, one of the best things I do. If I'm ever feeling down or I'm feeling a little bit lost in life, I try and think, okay, what, what are my goals? What do I really care about? And then start working towards there. But you have to balance that with the be careful not to become too overly obsessed with it, yes, right? Yes, yeah. And, like, look, you can definitely be so obsessed. Like, being obsessed with just feeling good is great. Mm. Like, there is definitely obsessions that you can have that actually do wonders. Yeah. And, you know, like I'm definitely someone who believes in balance, but if you have a certain goal and you want to lose a bit of balance in one area to excel in that area, yeah. that's fine too. Yeah. It's just about knowing what is going to serve you value, what actually is not going to serve your addiction. Because finding your balance was a big part of your healing journey, right? Mm -hmm. Talk to me about how you found your balance and why that's so important. Well, for me to find my balance, I actually had to go completely out of balance in order to find that okay. because I was someone who I was at one end of the scale. So in order for me to find a balance, I had to kind of get back to another end of the scale. And, um, you know, for people, for it to be, for them to be healthy, they would go for runs, go to the gym, start, you know, all these new diets. For me, I had to actually learn the complete opposite. I had to learn to have burgers, have macas. Yeah. Stop going to the gym. Yeah. I So for me, it was kind of like I had to reprogram what everyone knew was health and do the complete opposite because yeah. I knew that was going to be healthy for me. Yeah. I knew that's what was going to find my way of being able to find a balance. So I did. I started to have Maccas. I started to have, you know, rather than Coke Zero, have normal Coke. I yeah. started to not go to the gym. I started to not go for runs. And it was really challenging. But I knew chucking myself into the deep end would know that I didn't die. Yeah. I'm I was fine. You need to push yourself to that place so you can know that you're exactly. not going to break, right? Exactly. And now I'm really happy that I did do that because I'm so balanced now. I'm able to actually do things like whether I want to jump on stage, yeah. I want to do this comp with WBF. I know that I can do this and still have such a healthy relationship with food and with my body and with myself basically because I've spent so much work on myself and my relationship with food. And my mind. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you. I think it's a really, it's obviously you've, you've come a long way. It's been uh, many years since you've, you know, been able to establish healthy relationships with food. But is there, were you concerned or a little bit worried or, or maybe you weren't at all, but how do you balance 
finding your balance with preparing for a comp because comps are notoriously strict. Mm. People on, on often like, I know girls when they're preparing for comps that like you said, they'll lose their period. Their hormones will go all, all out of whack. They actually aren't healthy when doing it. How do you kind of find that happy medium where you can still be healthy and happy in your own body and have a positive relationship with food and health and wellness, but still, you know, you got to be quite strict to compete, right? Yeah, it definitely is. And a lot of people do somewhat can say that it is very con- contradicting what I'm doing with this comp to my past, but they don't know what is going on in my mind. And for me, I've actually spent the last uh, an entire year in a building phase. Yep. And this is, I have literally been force feeding myself. So this is for someone who has had anorexia, for them to force feed themselves to purposely put on weight is, I would have wanted to die. Like yeah. I would yeah. not have, that would have been the worst thing in the world for me. But I wanted to challenge myself. So that was a big part of my prep that I'm in is to build as much muscle as I can. And I did that for an entire year where I did no cardio. I made sure that I was burning zero calories. (laughs) I was force feeding myself. I was eating so much food, more than the normal person and especially some of my body size. So for me, that was, it was a challenge mentally because I was doing things that not normal people do. I was pushing past that point. And obviously I would still have um, habitual thoughts that would come into play. Like this is this is bizarre what you're doing. You're literally force-feeding yourself. Why are you doing this? Obviously I would have these thoughts from my past. And I learned to conquer that and to fight that, not only for my goal of putting on muscle, but for my goal to build my relationship with food, actually push its limits. And this has been an amazing healing journey for me. And this is probably the best my relationship has been with food because – I have pushed my limits. I've purposely put on weight. I've done these things because I wanted to. Yeah. And knowing that all I have to do is want something, my whole mindset changes. What I'm doing is right because I want it. Yeah. And that's something that I've learned through this journey is putting on weight can be really scary for women, but as soon as you want it, it's kind of like you don't doubt yourself anymore. Yeah. Because you already said you already said that you wanted it. So why are you doubting yourself? You've got no need to. And for me to do that has been such an amazing journey and I know deep down that it was the best journey I've ever done and it actually helped me regain my period from losing. So for me, in my own comp prep, I've actually regained it from losing it with an eating disorder. And obviously um, after you build, you are meant to kind of shred fat, go on a diet, but nothing is extreme, extreme to the point. Like for me, my body type, it takes me not much at all to lose weight. It's not like I'm going to be excessive cardio or anything like that. It is still you're still trying to maintain muscle. So it's not done in a stupidly unhealthy way where you're not eating. Obviously everything is timed well. You're still having enough protein. But it is is an extreme. It definitely is. And you have to be mentally ready for it. And as well with cutting, you have to be doing it in a short amount of time so it doesn't affect anything. And obviously with my coach that I'm working with, she's amazing. She is all about your mental health first. And that's something that we always communicate about. And she knows my, she knows my journey. She knows my relationship with food. And it is something that isn't for everyone. It really isn't. And for me, I've definitely passed that stage of having a bad relationship with food, but I wanted more with my fitness. I wanted Mm. to have more of a purpose, more of a goal and to actually just a bit of a change. And this has definitely been it. And like I said, getting on stage and comp prep isn't for everyone, but I'm someone who I've always been very goal-driven. And this is something that, like I said, it's pushed my limits to something that I would have never wanted to do in the past. So it's pushed my limits and it's pushed my fear and it's made me a better person. But you have now 
experienced all sorts of extremes in terms of food. You know, you can cut, you know, you can bulk, you know, exactly, you can have a healthy yeah. relationship, you know, you can be balanced, you know, you can eat hamburgers and pizza and stuff like that if you want to. So if anything, you're probably better off placed after this. You've been able to experience all different types of relationships and I wouldn't say diets, but relationships with food and know that, hey, you can return to Christy exactly. and choose where you want to go next with this. Yeah, that's so right. So right. What do you think from your journey that you've gone on, what do you think, what moment or what achievement are you most proud of? Um, from my whole fitness journey, coming from an anorexia. What, anything in your life, what do you think, what are you most proud of? I'm probably most proud of that I have gone through so many changes of my life, but I've always been so true to me. I've always understood who I am. I've always been so confident and so happy in myself. Yes, I've gone through shit periods of time. I've gone through struggles, but I've always just had something deep down in me that just trusts me, would always go back to me, and I knew exactly who I was. I've moved so many times. I've gone in and out of different friendships, but I've never lost Christy, and I do feel as though because I lost myself for so many years to an illness, um, finding who I truly was was so important to me and making sure that I I stuck to that Christy yeah. has just – and. Being able to do that as well just feels so powerful. So and, now, powerful. and now because you went through that experience of losing control of yourself, you'll never do that again, right? Oh, honestly, my number one fear in life, like this is like even, you know, when you include stimulants or drugs or anything like mm-hmm. that, you know how you feel that little bit out of control? Yeah. It is my number one fear. Yeah. Number one fear is just losing control of yourself. Like I'm someone who, don't get me wrong, I love a good wine, mm-hmm. but getting too wasted or, you know, going to a vessel and getting on drugs, they are my number one fear because I'm not me anymore. I'm this other person who is out of control. I don't know what I'm going to do. Mm. That is scary. Yeah. <laughs> with with your journey as well as being the fit girl in, in, in high school and you you were known as Christy, she's so healthy, she would never eat that. Did, did you ever experience bullying throughout that period or were your school and your community supportive of you? I definitely did um, in the sense where I would – you know, people would bicker and just be like, oh, why don't you just eat a burger and stuff yeah. like that. But bullying is something that I've never really actually dealt with, thank God. Yeah. Um, but I, what I did deal with was feeling really alone and I put that upon myself. Um, I did have beautiful friends. I was in a, the cool group in high school. But because I was so into this addiction, I did. I was so alone and that carried on for my early teenage life. Did you push people away? Yes, I definitely did. But I, it's kind of like I was so obsessed with what I was doing that I gave no one else the time of day. Yeah. You didn't do it intentionally. You were just yes. so focused on your own thing that you didn't really give them the attention, right? Yes, exactly. Now, one thing I want to start talking about is your journey as a content creator, building up 100,000 followers, whatever it's at now. Where did that start? Where did Christy, the content creator, blogger, Instagrammer start? Because I'm always interested with with different, again, for lack of a better word, influencers. I know people don't always love that word. Yeah, but it is what it is. It is what it is. Everyone understands understands it. But where did that journey start and how did you build your following? It started on YouTube. So the first time I've ever posted a YouTube video was by accidental. And it was (laughs) (laughs) I was meant to post it to Facebook to my family. That didn't go to plan. And I don't even know how. I was so young and I posted a like a recovery video about me recovering and my journey. And it did go somewhat viral. Yeah. 
And I didn't get really back on YouTube until um, maybe a year and a year, a bit after that. I remember I had, because I was vegan back in the day and there was this kind of like vegan cult, I hate to say. There was this vegan cult and there was a few of the head of the vegan cults who um, were really big on YouTube and I was fully inspired by them. They were amazing and they would post vlogs and they would post like recipe videos and I started to do a bit of that on YouTube. And I think I I came before YouTube was really a thing. So it was my following built quite quickly and easily and I built it at first through veganism and recipes and food blogging and obviously as my life um, changed and evolved. My videos became different. I, through that entire time, I would share everything though. I went through veganism, then I went through my irritable bowel syndrome struggles. And then I got out of veganism in order to, um, cure my irritable bowel struggles. And that was just obviously, um, from like deep, I've deprived myself from food for so long. Mm. So my way of recovery was to have no limits and no restrictions. So getting out of veganism was one of that. And then I had a lot of people who'd followed that journey and so so on. And it did take me so many years of just being consistent on my socials, showing my struggles, showing my hard times. Like that is literally where my platform has developed is through my suffering. Because people have started to do that more in the last couple of years, but not five, six, seven, eight, whenever you started years ago, right? Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I, like I said, I, my goal was never to get big. My goal was to share my story. Yeah. And with that came people who wanted to learn more. And even to this day, when people ask me, how do I become an influencer? How do I become big on Instagram? How do I get followers? And I said, you need to be asking yourself, how do I serve people value? Yes. No, how do I get followers? Because yeah. it's not, you can't, you can't just get followers. You have to focus on the following you do have, serve them value and create good quality content and mm-hmm. focus on that. You have to focus on these different things rather than gaining followers. Exactly. And that's where 90% of people go wrong. They think about themselves and how I can grow so quickly. Yeah. You will grow and you can start to think about that eventually. But the first and foremost thing is you need to be providing value and your content needs to be really good. Otherwise, none of that stuff is going to matter. Exactly. Like I never actually, it wasn't until I got to 100K where I was like, oh, actually I do have like a bit of followers. I never ever focused on following ever. You were first on YouTube and then Instagram was second? I think so. Honestly, I remember it was back when I swear to God, Instagram just became a thing. Mm. Like you were still using Facebook. Like when I first started, it was... Instagram was, you didn't have stories. Like you didn't have any of that. So I think I had an Instagram account. I'm not too (laughs) sure, but my main, yeah, my main platform was YouTube. Yes. You you just mentioned IBS. It's, it's really common, right? Talk to me about your experience with healing your gut and and overcoming irritable bowel syndrome, because a lot, I know a lot of people have it and a lot of people struggle to find a solution. Yes, it is. It's a very complex syndrome in the sense where, um, you have stomach issues and you go to the doctor and they don't really know what IBS is. You just have issues. So they got, they're going to say it's They label bowel it as that. Okay. Yep. So it, what irritable bowel syndrome is, is you have a damaged gut. It could be loads of other things, but majority of the people who get diagnosed with IBS, it's because they have a damaged gut. And it, it can be hard in the sense where the doctors will give you a diet that is very, um, very, very limited. And they will say, okay, these are the foods that you have and these are the foods that you can't have, you go from there. But what they don't really go across with you is you you have a damaged gut, so you need to obviously 
stop having food that are going to flare it up. But then you need to learn to build your gut back up. It's mm. like an immune system. It was damaged, so you need to build it up. And through doing that, you need to expose it to all food groups. Yeah. To learn to, if you know that you are intolerant to like broccoli, for an example, which I was, you need to learn to slowly reincorporate that food back. And like I said, it's exactly like an immune system and it's doing it over a process of time. So you have to experience these little flare-ups little mm-hmm. bit by little bit to be able to build it back to the yes, place where it can handle. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I completely understand why the FODMAP is the first thing that um, doctors and nutritionists will give someone with irritable bowel syndrome. It's because it helps you to get to a point where your gut isn't inflamed and yeah. it isn't as irritated. So then you can work on healing it. So what's the FODMAP? Just... So the FODMAP is um, an IBS diet okay, in yeah. a sense. It's not really a diet. It's foods you can have and foods you can avoid. What sort of foods do they tell you to avoid? Literally everything. And like people, it's not, they're not bad foods. Yeah. They're, they're good foods. They're foods that are high in certain things that can cause um, flare-ups and okay. inflammation within the gut. So broccoli, avocado, all these things are no's. You can't have. So it's, it's yeah. completely crazy, but it's about finding what your trigger foods are. And at one stage in my life, everything was a trigger food for me. And that did come a lot from, I limited a lot. So obviously because I limited so many food groups, my gut then created intolerances because it wasn't used to food. It wasn't. And it literally wasn't until I stopped, obviously, um, my diet of being a vegan and I started to incorporate more foods. But it actually wasn't until I started to I moved to Sydney and I went out with all my friends all the time. We would eat out all the time. I kind of had a bit of a YOLO approach to my diet. I started to drink more. And obviously these things aren't the the best way to go about it. But me just kind of not stressing about it and actually um, eating all these different new foods, going out to restaurants. It wasn't until after that where my gut started to get better. I started to not freak out about it as much because I was so fixated on my IBS where it took over my com- my entire life. And then I got to a point where I just didn't really care about it anymore. And if I got bloated, I got bloated. That's yeah. all right. And I stopped stressing about it. And I found we stopped stressing about it. One of your number one um, number one things to getting an irritable bowel syndrome flare-up was stress. That's number one. Yep. Number one. And then you have all these foods and then you have – um, other things that can cause inflammation depending on the individual. But number one is stress, which I never really knew that until I did some research about it. And as soon as I stopped stressing about, oh, my God, I'm going to be bloated, I'm going to have a flare-up, everything started to kind of get a little bit better. And I was able to kind of work on what the food actually is. Is is this affecting me or is my stress about this food affecting me? Yeah. And I think that was definitely my, my first step was to reduce the stress around food, reduce the stress around fear of food, fear of um, having a flare-up, and then kind of going from there. And like I said, it hasn't been until I had a little bit of a YOLO approach to food and then my building phase. So since my having my multiple building phases, um, just basically eating everything and anything and being okay with that, now I can happily say my irritable bowel syndrome is 100% gone. Yeah, wow. And with, with irritable bowel syndrome, is it something that – is like it goes into remission and you just have to keep it healthy or how does it work? Like once it's gone, is it gone? Or do you just need to keep yourself in that happy space where you're not stressing too much about the foods, you're not overeating too many different things, you're not limiting it? How do you keep it in that space? 
Well, like I said, what they what they know to about syndrome as is a damaged gut, and what is damaged can be healed. Yeah, but it does come down to the individual because they could have irritable bowel syndrome, but they could also have Crohn's. They could also actually be intolerant to something. It is really hard. So it is dependent on the individual to maybe do their own research and become more aware of their body more. Were there any books that you read that helped helped with that? Mm, not necessarily books, but I did a lot, a lot of my own research. Yeah. I watched so many videos. Um, I went on so many websites. I spoke to people at irritable bowel syndrome and the main the main thing that I've learnt through all of this is doing my own research but also becoming more aware of me and my body and my intolerances and what is working for me. So for me, having that YOLO approach and learning to eat all foods and build up my, my tolerance towards it all may not work for everyone, mm-hmm. but it did 100% work for me. And did you take any supplements that helped with it? Definitely. So this is why I have created my own business with um, C-Active. So me and my best friend, she's actually my business partner. And I, when I was deep in going with my irritable bowel syndrome, I couldn't actually have any any supplements because they would include things that really affect my bowel. So things like um, artificial sugar and things like, you know, stevia, all them things are in nearly everything. Yeah. And when I was deep within my usual bowel syndrome, I literally couldn't have anything. And not only did I want to be able to start um, taking supplements for my gut and for my bloating, but I wanted to be able to take it and not actually get that affected by it. I wanted to be able to heal and not have to go through that phase of needing to reduce it in order to be able to have it again. So I have worked with a nutritionist back in the day to actually formulate a blend I've got two different blends that C-Active actually sells. And the first one is the AM to have in the morning. So there's full of just superfoods and everything is actually actual food. Like the ingredient is made from food itself, from um, different sources of superfoods. Like I said, fruit, everything is stuff you found in the ground. And that was something that was huge for me through this development process was to keep it li- actually 100% natural. And you have a look at a lot of products and they'll say 100% natural, but it's completely not. Mm. And they'll add things like um, sweetener and stevia and all these things. And that is something that I have um, with the development process of C-Active and our blends was to make sure I was true towards that because I wanted to be able to take it. Yeah. And then we've got our nighttime blend, which is PM, which is something that I have been having every single night for years. And I wanted something that if I ever did get bloated or did have a flare-up, something would actually help me during that time, you know, rather than having to actually deal with the pain. So this one is a warm drink. And this is something that you get told to have quite a fair bit if you are someone who you're struggling with bloating or you have any digestive issues and this is going to actually settle the gut. Yeah. And also when you do have bowel, like, stomach issues, you have a lot of bowel issues. So um, your toilet movements are all over the shop. And this is something that I deeply struggle with as well through my atrial bowel syndrome. And with our PM blend, it's actually got an ingredient called slippery elm. So this is a natural ingredient to help um, your movements of your bowel. So this is something that helped me like crazy through um, my recovery journey with both my eating disorder and IBS. And this is something that was um, vital to have in my PM because most women do actually struggle with their bowel movements. It's honestly crazy. And most people who do struggle with um, any form of digestive issues struggle with it. So this, again, was something that was really important in my um, PM. Do you find that girls don't avoid talking about this, even though it's such a real issue as well? 
Yes, definitely. Um, I feel as though a lot of people can be ashamed of yeah. having some form of gut issues and it can be a topic that – But you're so open with all this shit, yeah. right? You're completely open. Like, <laughs> I, I do have a YouTube channel and yeah. I do have to actually get on camera and yeah. talk about how it can be and my struggles and everything. And, yeah, a lot of people can have a shame, like be ashamed to have it um, in the sense where it's with them all the time. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it can be really hard to deal with. What's your what's your res- what's the response like from your followers and your DMs when you actually talk about this stuff? I imagine there's heaps of girls messaging like, "Oh my god, fuck, I can crazy. relate to this so yeah. much." Right? It's crazy. Um, I did actually grow a lot of my following through my IBS suffering because so many people so suffered with right? it, and nearly every single message I would get, people would be like, "I have no idea what to do, mm. no idea." Yeah, because there isn't anything out there, and there's not just because you've got IBS, you actually have no idea what you have. And it would be so so individual, like what worked for you might not work for the exactly. next person. You can tell people, hey, this is what worked for me, they can try it, but it's such an individualistic thing. Do you get, like, do you still get heaps of really nice messages from from mums or people that have seen, like, some of your earlier stuff about healing and recovering from the eating disorder? Do you still get that as yes, well? Yes, I definitely What's do. What's those messages like? It's amazing. Yeah. I've had... Plenty of mums message me saying I've helped their daughters, mm. um, I've helped them get out of hospital, I've helped them with their recovery journey. I've had people individually messaging me um, who have followed me since day dot and I've helped them for years. And it, it, it is, it, it's so amazing. Sometimes it doesn't feel real. Like I feel like, are you fake? Like, do you know what I mean? It's like, are you hard, a fake account? Right? Like, yeah. It's, it's, it's such a beautiful thing and it's something to be so proud of. But I know, obviously I don't have a story like yours, but Whenever people message me and they're strangers thanking me for, hey, talking about this, oh, you inspired me, you helped me with that, it is really hard to take on, right? It's mm. it's, it's a really weird feeling and you think about it and it is beautiful, but ha- have you let that affect you? And what does that do to you in terms of driving you to continue to put out this sort of content and help give back to the world and share your knowledge? It's such a huge motivator, such a huge motivator. And I feel as though um, what it always tells me is just always be real. Like even – now I'm constantly um, posting my my fitness journey, my fitness life, but everyone knows I'll have my red wine every single night, yeah. every single night because I love it, I enjoy it. Yep. And I get so many messages all the time of people like, you make me feel so much better about myself. Yeah. And their messages of me being real and people actually learning to be okay with I can be healthy and also have red wine, for them to apply that in their life, like that is that means so much more to me than me – showing a very strict lifestyle and yeah. everyone thinking they need to be strict. It's just normalising being normal. I know, Literally. right, which is so rare these days. Like everyone does it, but people that are in these positions with large followings, they want to maintain a certain image, I'm this person, I'm so clean yeah. with my diet and my lifestyle 24-7. They see it as a form of, you know, self-discipline yeah. and, you know, they're, they're somewhat better because they can stick to something. But for me, that's – I've done that. I've been there, I've done mm. that. I stuck to my diet, I stuck to – exercising four hours a day, I stuck to all of that and I wasn't happy. I didn't enjoy it and that wasn't healthy for me. And does drinking red wine, does it flare you up or does it work with your lifestyle when you and when you drink it in balance? It's actually think- crazy because a lot of people do get affected by red wine but that is why I became a red wine drinker is I found that it would settle my stomach, red wine. And over, you know, over the years of trying to figure out why that is and some research about red wine itself, yes, it does help reduce inflammation, red wine, but – it also helped me relax the fuck yeah. out. <laughs> and stress Because the stress is the big thing for yeah. you, right? Yeah. Mm. So that's another big reason why I do love my wine. 
I want to talk to you. You would you mentioned C Active. When did you guys launch that? Like two years ago, three? Year, year and a half yeah. ago. Yeah. How did you find the experience going from influencer to business owner? Because it's a lot harder than people think, right? A hundred percent. I'm very lucky in the sense where my business partner is the brains behind <laughs> developing that stuff. Shout I'm, out to Irma. Yeah, shout out to you, Irma. Like I would not have been able to do it without Irma. Yeah. No way in the world. I'm very, I'm a creator. Yeah. I can sell things. I can talk on YouTube videos. I can create, you know, pretty stuff on Instagram. But when it comes down to things like accountants and taxes and anything in between, Irma, Irma. <laughs> I need you. Yeah. No idea. My brain isn't. My brain is not wired like that. I've through school. I was someone who I excelled in sport. I excelled in art. I failed in maths. I yeah. failed in anything else because I did not want to learn that because I wanted to go all out in areas I felt passionate about. And look, I'm not saying that was definitely the right thing to do because I wish I I learned more and knew more yep. about taxes and and business. Well, and they don't teach you that actual shit you need to know in school anyway. No, but Irma, she knows. So that's yeah. all I that's all I have. <laughs> what lessons have you learned from learn from from starting a business? Many, mm-hmm. many. Um, and I've actually, I like I said, I'm very very glad that I did have Irma because she has done everything right and. I have had in my own business with Christy Swatling, so I'm actually registered. Christy Swatling is registered as a as a company, yep. so it is a business. And I have learned what you know things like what to register your business in. I've learned things with tax and when to pay it, and you know what people to hire. Like when I first started um, Instagram, I didn't know I had to pay tax. Mm. I did not know that. I mean, a lot of people don't. A lot of influencers got caught I, out with that, right? A hundred percent. But I was I was what. Uh, 17, yeah. well, I just, you know, started posting photos mm. and realised that if I, you know, made money on that, I had to pay tax. I had to actually go get an accountant and put money aside for it and pay it quarterly, whatever, and I did not know that. Yeah. So that obviously bit me in the ass yep. two years later. Mm-hmm. So obviously obviously things like that, just becoming more aware of um, businesses and what, what I'm actually doing, whether it was a side hustle or not, I, be, I had to become aware of what I needed to do to keep that up. What was going through your head the day you found out you're going to get stuck with stung with this big tax bill? Oh, I am. I'm very like, oh, it'll be right. I'm, yeah. I'm a very, I'll deal with it later. Yeah, yeah. I'm that person. And that is something that it has its pros and cons. Yep. And that's another thing that I am learning to deal with through um, owning a business and through I'm creating another business and just trying to multitask these businesses. Something that I'm learning to do is you can fuck up, okay, and sometimes it ain't always going to be right. But that is my mindset is it'll be right. What's your relationship with, like, making mistakes and fucking up? It's good. It's good in the sense where I have I've known I've always learnt. Um, in the time, it's shit because you, you don't want to fuck up. You really don't. <laughs> yeah. But I've always learnt from my mistakes and that is only because I – when I'm going through it, I don't like it. So I do anything I can to get out of it. And I obviously learned that, okay, I tried this. I'm going to try something else because that didn't work. Mm. So it definitely does come down to your mentality towards it and how you go about fail and how you go about mistakes. And it is so important because, you know, you hear all the time that failure mistakes are, you know, they're good, they're great, only how you take it though. If you fail and make mistakes and you don't try anymore because you failed, then you're not, that's not how you're meant to be doing it. Yeah. 
But the, exactly right. It's your relationship and the way you view ma uh, making mistakes. It's the important thing. If you let these things crumble you and um, like turn you off chasing that thing or trying to get better and again, that is not going to serve you. But if you view these failures and mistakes as lessons and okay, I've learned that. Yeah, it may have cost me yeah. this opportunity or I may have lost this amount of money. I may have, you know, potentially even lost a relationship or a friendship, but I'm now going to let that mistake serve me moving forward. Yeah. And bit by bit, I'm going to become a fuller human being. I'm going to becoming more educated, more wise, and a more solid grounded person. So I think making mistakes is a great thing, but it's about how we, what happens next. That's, exactly. that's really important, exactly. right? Exactly. And you don't necessarily need to be happy that you failed in that moment mm -hmm. in order to appreciate it. You just need to accept it. Yeah. I want to change pace a little bit and I want to talk to you about your experience. Obviously you're a, a prominent online figure, your experience with online bullying, fake accounts and trolls and, and how that's affected you. Um, it's something that has never really affected me. It has to an extent, like I've got an entire hate page really? about me and I'm like, I'm not that interesting people. <laughs> like what do you have to say? Yeah. It can definitely in the sense where I have a, a lot of, audience who, are, you know, OG subscribers and they'll say things like, oh, you've changed or there's certain words that can 100% affect me. If you, you know, make a hate page about me and start talking about what I wore, I don't care. Mm -hmm. But if it's something that means something to me, yes, it can really affect me. I'm um, in the sense where I've changed or um, I'm not true to myself. Things like that affect me in the sense where this is the happiest I've ever been, but people will still tell me otherwise. Yeah, They'll still tell me, you know, you're, you're acting different. You're trying to be someone different. And I'm like, no, I'm actually motherfucking happy. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you telling me otherwise? What do you think makes people act out online like that to create these fake pages to try and take, like. They think they have a right you. because, yeah. you know, you post your life everywhere and they have something to say. And look, I get it. Like I get it. And you're bored. You feel invested into that person's life because they've shared it. I do get it. And, yeah, it just really comes down to acknowledging that, no one would be saying stuff about someone who's homeless or just on the side of the street. If they're saying something about you, it means you're doing something right. Yeah. I, I, I say this saying all the time. It's so true. I've never met a hater doing better than me. Yes. Yeah. It's like, but even if someone is doing better than you, you should use them as inspiration, not to make yourself feel worse. Like congratulate them like on that, like go along and use that to inspire you to improve your life. I really think a good thing that should happen. I don't know if it's going to be possible. Obviously Elon's talking about trying with Twitter. Like if you have a, a social media account, whether it's a business or a personal, you should have to put your ID upload or, or do some sort of a verification securely. Of I course, know. Cause yeah. it's, it's shit, man. Like I, I hate bullying and like, yeah, you're lucky you said it hasn't affected you too much, but the amount of probably kids that go through mental health issues and commit suicide weekly, daily because of online bullying, it, it's so sad and I don't – yeah, I'm lucky. I, I, I never really exp experienced bullying too much. I, I never bullied, I, but there's just it's just so common and it's like, yeah, I've, I've seen – I think we might have spoken about it before and I just, I'm glad to hear that for you it hasn't like really affected you in, 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 a, in a negative way. Does it affect – like, has your mum ever been affected? Has she ever seen anything? And it's been like, Chrissy, what the fuck's this? Or a hundred percent. Um, it's something that since I started um, my social media, it's something that I've always just learned to deal with and put mm. aside. It's not something that just happened all of a sudden. It's something that I it was inevitable from the yeah. time that I started. So I've actually learned to deal with it. And at the start, obviously, it affected me. But oh, after the years, I've learned that if I'm not doing anything effective, no one actually is giving me hate. It's not until I'm doing good yeah. shit people start to give me hate and I've learned that pattern. 
Yeah. Because obviously I've been going through so many stages with my social media where I'm yeah. doing well, where I'm not doing so well, where I'm relevant, where I'm not relevant. And every time I'm relevant and making some good shit, that's when I get the most haters. Yeah. And I've understood that. I think the way as well, I think the best way to look look at look at that hate that you get online isn't by actually saying, oh, well, fuck these guys. They don't know me. Fuck them. Anyway, that's one way you can deal with it. And look, it, it can be a coping mechanism as long as it – the main thing is don't let it affect you. Exactly. But I think the best way to look at it is with empathy and be like, look, I kind of – I wish I could just sit down with that person and talk to them. If they knew me, they yeah. wouldn't hate me and we can talk through it because a lot of the time it's probably because of an insecurity on their behalf and genuinely caring about them and getting to the place where you, you, you'd love to be able to help them. I think that's the best way for it. Obviously it's not, not going to be possible with everyone online, but I just think that's the way to approach exactly approach yeah. it with empathy. Because regardless, you are going to have some feelings and thoughts towards it. And if you mm. learn to switch your mind rather than, you know, um, being angry, switch it to empathy and actually questioning mm. a little bit and, because majority of the time, the reason why they hate you is because they want to be more like you, mm. and unfortunately, they have have the mindset of, okay, I want to be more like you, so I'm going to hate you until I'm more like you, rather mm. than, oh, I'm going to see what you do so I can be more like you. That is their mindset. That is yeah. their fixed mindset, and they will literally never change. So you just need to understand that they're going to be like that. Yeah, it's There's nothing you can. It's do. ridiculous. I was talking to Joe yesterday, um, Brenton, who was actually our first episode. We shared a, a clip of him, and it's this. Funniest fucking story about him building a vending machine and 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 go hide like hiding inside and taking taking people's cash Fuck and giving them. I swear Where to you God, did that? no, no, Brenton. Oh. He's from Canala as well, as well. Brenton, you, Brenton Parks. I I show, good gun you. guy, the good gun guy. I still don't know. Anyway, doesn't matter who he is. <laughs> Hi, it's, Brenton. It's this, it's this hilarious story, and I I knew about it before we recorded a podcast, and I died when I heard it, and we posted it on TikTok, and it went kind of viral, and there's like so many people that liked it, like heaps of people say, this is the funniest thing ever. And there's like 30, 40 year old guys cap. Oh my God. Why is your life so boring? You need to make up stories. And all this. Uh, I'm like, yeah. dude, come on, man. Yeah. Like, as soon as anything, as like my partner, he like went viral on um, his TikTok and he's quite a good looking man. And he posts something with like a filter on and yeah. it did go viral, went crazy. But then there was all these older men who were just yeah. slamming at him, like calling him all these names and, I was just like, isn't that funny that it's just people around your age group that get jealous? Yeah, but I don't even want to. I don't even want to approach it in an argumentative way and talk talk badly about like people that think like that. I, I genuinely feel like, dude, I, I would love to be able to help you get out of that. You know <laughs> what I mean? Okay. Yeah, I yeah, know. but but seriously, yeah. it's just yeah. And anyway, Joel, when do you, how long have you been with Joel? You're engaged now, right? Yes. How's uh how how long has that been going? How, well, we've been together for two and a half years, I think, almost three. And he engaged, engaged, he engaged me October last year. And how is obviously you're talking about you weren't, you didn't plan to be a stepmom, but that's kind of just been dropped in your lap. And how's that experience going for you? Definitely been a challenge. Yeah, hundred percent. Every child, it's a challenge, and you, you change your entire life. Yeah. And he is um, basically in my full time care. Joel does work a lot, so I've definitely had to do a lot of changing when it comes down to my lifestyle, when it comes down to my work times. And also being a stepmom and a real mom and all of a parent in general, you have to understand that you can't put yourself first anymore. Mm-hmm. It's not how it goes. And naturally, especially as a woman, you naturally just do that. Um, and it did take me some time to also just – Learn to be a mum. Like was learn to an... not forget sunscreen. Like just mm. things like that. And because this kid was already um, nine years old when I 
got into the picture, there was a lot of learning I had to do about being a parent. Like I yeah. didn't, I didn't get to learn with my partner about how to build up this baby. I had a here's an eleven year old child <laughs> and learn to Have keep fun. him alive. <laughs> how was the adjustment period? How long did that take? Uh, yes, it, yeah. it took years in the sense where um, Caden had a lot of um, attachment towards his dad. And he had to kind of be okay with someone else coming into the picture. And there was a lot of things, obviously, we did have to deal with. He always loved me, always accepted me, but there was a lot of changing we had to do. And Joel, he's very much, um, like, he's always acted kind of like a weekend dad and he'll give his son everything in the world. And we've learned, obviously, having a family, there needs to be certain things put into place. So yeah. people, so kids learn. You can't give a child everything and expect they're going to be well behaved. Mm. So there's a lot of things that we needed to learn as a couple. There's a lot of things that men can't do without women and there's a lot of things that women can't do without men. And together we were able to apply that and to build a relationship and a family from that. Did you have to play bad cop a little bit too much at the start? I am the bad cop. <laughs> I still am the bad cop. Correct. Um, Caden Caden is my stepson. He does. He loves me for that because I've brought structure. I've brought yeah. routine, which kids need. Yeah. Kids need that. They thrive off that. And he's understood that I bring that. And he's also understood that I will never apply discipline if it's not necessary. I apply mm-hmm. discipline when needed and in order to better him as a child. So wh- where are you taking life now? What does, like, your dream dream life look like? Um, right now it's – I'm definitely hustling in a sense. Um, I've got my businesses that I'm working on. I've got another business that I'm invested in. And I'm wanting to just have – I'm not wanting to obviously be an influencer forever. I'm wanting to have something more of a purpose. I always want to stay connected to my audience, I'm connected with my YouTube channel, but I want to be doing that through investments and businesses and obviously documenting my journey along the way. So throughout this time I have been doing a lot of side work with my businesses and just growing from there. And obviously I want to be setting myself up so I can build my family and have more time for my family. Right now has been a really stressful because I have been raising Caden, but I haven't had that much time because I'm building these businesses. Um, but I want to be at myself at a, at a point where I can build these businesses to the point where I can have time. So that is my main goal right now is building myself up so then I can live a happy life but also a life with time mm. and no stress. Mm. And if we had to leave it at one last thing and I said, Christy, to everyone that's listening, what what is your message? What would you say? Confidence is everything. You you create that through your thoughts toward yourself, but sometimes you need to fake it till you make it mm. and it's everything. Mm. And how do you feel within yourself now? You said you're the happiest you've ever been. Good. I feel really good. I'm like every other human though. I obviously been – an influencer, you tend to push your highlights, but we all go through struggles. We yeah. all go through our hard times. We all go through self-doubt. That is normal. Mm. But it just comes down to constantly making action and working on beating that and being the best version of yourself and trusting yourself. What do you do to make sure you're managing your mental health now? What are your practices that keeps you in check, keeps you feeling good? Doing things that I love and also opening up, like talking um, talking to my best friends and, like I said, doing things that I love and getting myself into routine. Routine is everything. Like I'm a sucker for a good morning routine. Yeah. And it's something that I, I rely on deeply. What is your morning routine? Um, right now it's get up, have a coffee straight away. Like literally as soon as I wake up, that is the first thing I do and it has been for years. I'll have a coffee um, and I'll actually get up earlier before Caden and I get 
Caden ready for school. I'll get up earlier so I can have at least five minutes to myself. Mm. Whether that's read or whether that's just to sit in quiet before the chaos starts. Because yeah. I'm someone, as soon as I wake up, I do not sit down until I go to bed. Yeah. So I like to just literally have five minutes of peace. And obviously I'll get him ready for school. And after about an hour, I'll either go for a walk um, or I'll start with um, my work. And something that I used to apply in the mornings was definitely meditation. It's something that mm. I've always loved doing. And it's something that I want to, like being honest and real here, it's something I haven't done for a year. And it's something that I definitely do want to bring back into my life. But right now I have find it so hard to slow my mind down. It's hard, huh? It's once you're not in that routine, I've found it so hard. Yeah. Because meditation was a big part of your healing journey, right? A hundred percent, yes. Yeah. How yes. did that help? Um, Learned to that if – no matter how you're feeling, you can actually just sit in your head and everything's okay. Mm. And because my head was my number one fear, mm. I was my fear. My my thoughts were my fear. And I learned that I can actually just sit and I'm not dying. My head's not killing me. My thoughts are just thoughts. Like I actually learned to just deal with that. And I would have a lot of panic attacks through meditation. And I would cry a lot in meditation because my thoughts were so mean. They were so cruel. They were horrible to me. But after meditation, I just was like, oh, no, they actually did nothing to me, though. Like, I I would learn to breathe. I learned to sit with it. And learning to sit with your thoughts is so going to save you so much more value than pushing them away. At your worst, what was your what was it like for you to sit alone with your thoughts and no one else? Oh, my God, it was my number one fear in life. Like, it was my number one fear. I remember um, it would come around to, like, 3 p.m. in the afternoons, and that's when I would need to make sure I was with someone. I became very needy and dependent on other humans and my friends, my boyfriend, because I hated being alone. It was my number one fear. And when I first applied it, like I said, I spent hours bawling my eyes out. All I was doing was sitting fucking alone and I was bawling my eyes out. But that's how much pain I was in. And when you are someone who you struggle to be alone, that is when you need it most. And unfortunately, that's probably why I don't meditate because all I want is my alone time. Mm. <laughs> At this moment in time, all I want is my alone time. And I don't apply it because... Um, I find as humans, we think we only apply meditation when things are getting tough and it is a tool for that, but it's also a tool to apply at every stage in life to excel yeah. at any stage in life. It's, it's hard for me. I can relate to that as well. For me, I do, I do meditate quite a bit, not every day like I used to, because for me, I'm such a, I'm such a big thing. I have so much going on as well. I wake up every day and I do have a morning routine and a type of meditation is, is, is in, included in that. But my meditations that feel a lot better for me and, and work in more alignment with myself and my goals and what I enjoy doing is rather than sitting there and clearing my thoughts and trying to meditate the more traditional way, I do 15 to 30 minute visualization exercises. And when I'm just sitting there in my own space, visualizing who I want to become, the journey I'm oh, on, so seeing all these things for yeah. me, it lights me up. It yeah. does calm me down because I'm still, I'm only focusing on that one thing. I'm yeah. not stressing about what I have to do when I get into the office. I'm not stressing about all these things yeah. that I have to figure out and think about later. I'm in there, but at the same time, I'm meditating because my mind and my soul is centered on one thing, but I'm also getting the value of I'm inspiring myself. I'm connecting myself, seeing myself mm. doing all these things. And then the law of attraction is coming in and working with it. So finding that worked really well for me. So it doesn't just have to be meditating. When people think of meditating, they try and sit down. I can't do it. Try other different types of meditation to find something that works with you. I have a lot of friends that journaling has worked really well for. For me, I've tried it many times. Journaling 
hasn't worked for me because it just doesn't work. I feel like I'm writing things down. I feel like it's fake when I'm writing it down. I feel like I'm so, I love processing things in my head and thinking them through and experiencing them and then letting them go. If I try and write them down, it doesn't work for me. But a lot of people journaling is an amazing tool. Yeah. Do you journal? Have you journaled throughout your process? Yes, I have. Um, I actually have three full journals of my recovery journey. Wow. I've never journaled since though. Yeah. It's something that really deeply helped me understand my thoughts, understand my responses to my thoughts. It's something that definitely did. Um, now what the only way that I've been really applying meditation is actually whilst I'm walking, I'll put headphones in and I'll put some like actual meditation music on. And I love that because I'm someone who um, slowing down is hard for me because I'm constantly on the go. And I, I feel as though I can get a lot more out of it when I'm actually doing something but inside my head. Mm. And there is no wrong or right way to feel good and to apply meditation. I feel as though once you strip the rules away from it, you're probably more inclined to actually apply it mm. because you're making it work for your life. When you were, when you were journaling, I was just thinking about it, as I said, and I feel like, why did it feel so uncomfortable for me to write this shit down? Like I'm potentially, I feel like, am I judging my own words that I'm saying? Cause it just doesn't, it doesn't feel right for me to, to write those down. Did you ever judge yourself while you're journaling and you had to work through that or what was it for you? Not necessarily judge myself. I remember thinking, oh, my God, if anyone fucking reads this, I will be so embarrassed. I'm literally talking yeah. to myself. Yeah. But, again, I I think as a woman that is so natural to, you know, get emotional, have our journals, have mm. our diaries. So it is It's completely normal for me. I think the question is why doesn't it feel normal for you? Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I was just thinking about it as you were speaking, mm. trying to work it out for myself. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not concerned. Maybe that's not a tool for me. As long as I can process things in my own way, I think that's fine. But I'm, I'm actually going to think <coughs> about that. <coughs> Casually uh, choking here. I'm dying. Cool. Well, that's a, a good a good time to wrap it up, I think. Um, yeah, who knows how long this will last. Before you die, it. before you uh, cough <laughs> a lung up. Um, lastly, where can everyone find you and, and see Active if they want to look into it more? Because there's a lot of information. <coughs> Hang on. Okay, I'm back. She's back. Thank you. So my Instagram handle, yeah. it is Chrissy Swadlim. And then we've got C Active. Um, and my handle is the same on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Cool. We did it. We finally did it. Thanks, Chrissy. I appreciate you coming in. All right, there we go. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, could you please do me a quick favor and hit the follow or subscribe button? I honestly appreciate it more than you know. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>